0: Hey guys, it's Brandon from the Macro Ops Value Hive podcast. At Macro Ops, our aim is simple. We wanna make high risk adjusted returns consistently, continuously learn while doing so, and have a lot of fun along the way. And in this regard, our record speaks for itself. This is partly why we have by far the highest retention rates of any investing service in the industry. Collective members tend to stay members for a long time because there really is nothing else like us. We offer differentiated research, theory and education resources, plus a killer Slack community filled with some of the smartest operators from around the world. Our members are predominantly professionals, but we also have a high number of highly motivated retail investors and traders. The one thing we all share is a deep love for the game of investing and an unquenchable thirst to get better. If this sounds like you, then consider signing up and checking us out. You simply go to macro-ops.com forward slash collective. That's macro-ops forward slash collective. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to talk to you about MIT Investment Management Company, also known as Matemco, the investment office of MIT. Each year, Matimco invests with a handful of new emerging managers who it believes can earn exceptional long term returns in support of MIT's mission. In order to help the emerging manager community more broadly, they created emergingmanagers.org, a website for emerging manager stock pickers. For those looking to start a stock picking fund or those just looking to learn about how others have done it, I highly recommend this site you'll find essays and interviews by successful emerging managers, service providers used by MIT's own fund managers. Essays Matimco has written for emerging stock pickers and more. Matimco also occasionally and opportunistically hires new members for their investment team. To view the job description, please visit matimco.org/global-investor. That's m i t i m c o.org/global-investor. The Matimico team spends their time learning about great businesses and investments, working with exceptional investors around the world in order to support generations of MIT innovators. This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional-level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, Transcript filings, news, and more. Value Hive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash Hive. That's dot com forward slash Hive. I've got John Swallow of Idaho Strategic Resources. Ticker symbol is IDR. And before we get into this whole conversation on John, what makes him unique, what makes his company unique, and you know, what, what, what I really love about the situation, I'm going to throw out a disclaimer that I own a lot of IDR stock. We own a lot of our IDR stock at Macro Ops. So I am biased. I have, I have colored glasses here. Um, I really like John and his company and what they're about. And, um, but I don't want to, you know, obviously dissuade anybody else. None of this is investment research. So if you like what you hear, um, you know, do your own due diligence and maybe, and maybe you'll come to the same conclusions, but John, the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast is a I've been spending time in commodities for the past year and b. gold miners and particularly junior gold miners seem to be one of the most hated corners of the market. And mm-hmm. why do you think
1: that is? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's, I, I think the model, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the, the junior gold, minor, and I guess minors may not be the right term because they're not, a lot of them don't really ever want to mine anything. They really just want to drill some holes and then hope to, you know, vend off a project to a major. And that's fine. You know, the, the whole uh, AAA league up to the majors kind of a thing was a model that worked say 10, 15 years ago, I think, but I just don't believe that that model relevant or as relevant anymore. I think there, you know, if you really want to know my, my opinion on it, something that we talk about more over a few beers probably is that I think the investment banker sort of ruined it. Um, I think, the, you know, it, it it just started becoming more of an investment banker exercise at mining people instead of mining or looking at starting mines and that kind of thing. So it really started just narrowing down into what it's kind of become today. Um, and I, and I, I, I personally Saw that years ago, and I just didn't like that either because now you're constantly selling, constantly diluting, and I think people are wise to that kind of a model.
0: You have an interesting background in how you ended up at Idaho Strategic, and if my memory serves correct, Idaho Strategic is not actually the first name of the company. This is, It's kind of morphed into, into what it is today. How did mm-hmm. you end up in the seat of CEO, and, and what even
1: attracted you to this space? so this goes back away so i um kind of like i think we've talked about before but my background has always been on the investing side the penny mining stock side that goes all the way back to when you know i used to walk by the brokerage in town and they were changing the stock prices on the chalkboard kind of a day so that really dates me but that that's that that's where we go to so i i actually own shares in a company called golden chess mining back in the day um so the golden chest mine itself and that property I've known about since I was in junior high. So you could say that I've always had it in the back of my head, um, you know, kind of fast forward to, to um, so the golden chest mining company ended up uh, kind of going away. And then uh, Fred and Grant BrackeBush at New Jersey mining company ended up with the, say the land that was there, that project. And uh, Fred BrackeBush wanted to retire at one point, and I was kind of in between, um, I don't wanna say jobs, but I was in between things. And um, he talked to me a little bit about what do I think about the company and all that. And I'd been a longtime shareholder New Jersey Mining Company. And I always looked at it like New Jersey had kind of, uh, they had a the partial ownership in a mill and a partial ownership of the Golden Chest Mine. And, and keep in mind, it wasn't really a mine then, it was really more of a, of a historic prospect that had once been mined, and um, so anyway, I uh, ended up buying Fred's position when he retired, and Grant uh, decided to stay around. And uh, keep in mind, nobody was making any money. There was no revenue. There was nothing. But one of the things I will tell you, and this says a lot about Grant, is that one of the first, the first question I asked him, as I said, you know, I've been a shareholder for a long time. You and your dad haven't taken salaries for a long time. Um, what? What is it, you know, are you looking to get, you know, this, you know, the, we go raise a million dollars is the first 600 grand going back to you and your dad for for past salaries. Because that's one of my, my, my things that I really just do not like. And he goes, hell oh, no. He goes, screw that. Literally said, screw that. Let's go forward. Forget the past. I'm focused on the future. And I was like, done. Like that was it. And if he would have said, oh, yeah, I'd like to get that money back, I would have said, well, I'm done. And so that was pretty much where we were. And then Grant and I together built from there.
0: And so you said it had a partial ownership stake in a mill and I guess historic mine, mine properties. Mm-hmm. How did you go from you know that that piece to then actually building t- into what it is today?
1: So we ended up with a joint venture. So this was the latter 13, first part of 14, I believe. We ended up with a group that wanted to come in, and uh, and keep in mind we kind of had the starter kit, but we didn't really have are you still there okay yeah we had the starter kit but we really didn't have it's more of a process than it was a checklist how about that um Mm -hmm. and so we had a group that wanted to come in and they wanted to explore and do some mind development and i had known this group for a long time and i was like okay that's you know when they leave because they had like a three-year lease or something like that um they uh when they ended up leaving, I knew when they were going to leave that we would end up with all of this development, regardless of what they ended up how, however successful they were. And so I was like, okay, this is good for us to get a bunch of development done for not free, but um, that's another part of the starter kit, you know. So I was like, okay, here we go. You know, if you're a small, a small company starting out, those are multi-million dollar type of expenditures that you don't have to incur.
0: Mm-hmm. And so when you you know, started, started, you know, using, using the mine or using, using the mill, getting gold out of the ground. Like what were some things that you laid as the foundation that you wanted Idaho strategic to be that separates it from, let's say your generic small cap, or even micro cap gold producer?
1: Yeah, we, we had a couple of different philosophies. So my thing is, you know, we, uh, there was one geologist, um, well, the company had a couple of geologists that were kind of loosely, um, you know, I'd worked for the company, not, and kind of, kind of put the band back together kind of thing. But there was one geologist in particular that I talked to him and I said, you know, what is it that you would like to see before you come back? And he, and we, together, we have this kind of everybody gets an opinion approach instead of the old school, you know, my way or the highway kind of approach. And, um, you know, if you're going to start out building something, you really need to start with, with some, with more of an approach like that. So you, you know, you bring in the right people and you discourage the wrong people. And cause really at the end of the day, we're all in the people business, you know, mining just happens to be why we're all together, but we're really in the people business. And so, um, you know, the timing was right. I, I looked at even myself, I looked at Grant, uh, Rob and John and, and, you know, um, the guys, and I was like, you know, we're all of that age now where we've kind of been there and done that somewhere else. We're not going to run off somewhere else for an extra dollar an hour, you know, and and it really started to look like, you know, if this group could come together, um, that we could, we could build this thing, you know, and, and it's not easy. So you need people that are willing to invest and, and own it. Um, I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's, when I look back at it, that's pretty much how. I mean, when you look at some of the pictures of what it was when we started, it's like looking at a vacant lot versus a, a high rise.
0: <laughs> well, I think one thing that you mentioned there is just this sense of ownership, and to me, that's one of the most important things, really, with any company, but especially in mining, is do the executives eat their own cooking, and 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 are they incentivized properly? Um, I know, I know you own, you know, you still own a good, a good, a good portion of the company, mm-hmm. um, and so when you're looking let's 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 step back kind of from the history of how we got here. So now we're here, right? Gold's above two thousand dollars an ounce. I think one of the most pressing questions that I have is how do you think strategically about, let's say, the next three, five, and ten years and as it as it relates to gold prices? And so, like you might have a view on where you think gold would you know could be or should be, but you have to run the business day to day on what right. the gold price is today. And so how do you juggle those two realities?
1: You know, and and when we started this gold was ten eighty an ounce. So, (laughs) you know, I always like to say, um, you know, good companies are built in difficult times. Well, it didn't even matter what the times were then. The gold price was terrible. So but it also, you know, you you kind of had people like the people weren't being pulled in different directions then because the gold price is what it is. Even local miners weren't really necessarily um, and so it gave us the space to make mistakes and build and grow and um, and we needed that, you know. And so it was a no promises, but we're going to we're going to do our best. But a lot of it had to do with um, like exploration or revenue backed exploration. Like I've always loved the idea of exploration and but I've always liked to do the thing I love. It's got to have a business on the other side of it, you know, and I, I like being a shareholder, but I also don't like dilution, you know, and so you 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 have to put all this stuff together and figure out what kind of a model works for you. And so, you know, I was looking at it like I didn't really want to see gold spike because building a business in the spike is a a terrible idea. Um, You really just want to see stair step rise over time and then you build your business into that and then you build your base of assets. And that's what we did. We started out with a 48 percent ownership of the golden chest that had a bunch of debt on it. Um, you know, we took over, we have a hundred percent of that now and we didn't have any land at all. And now we have 7,000 acres with, uh, little or no debt against that, you know, while we're also building the, uh, underground development, um, and, and mining and also, um, building exploration potential on the other side. So it was just one brick at a time. You
0: mentioned that you didn't want the gold price to spike, which when I first hear it, That sounds counterintuitive, right? You're a gold mining producer. Obviously, you would want the gold price to spike, but there's clearly reasons why you would rather have either maybe a slow and steady grind up or even if you're super deep value, actually, you know, the gold to keep kind of trickling down as long as the long term makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, to me, it was like, no, 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 we don't want everybody's like, you know, you want to see. $2,000 gold. And this is back at 11 or 1200. I was like, honestly, no, I think we can run the business at 13 to 1500 and, you know, let's slowly build this and grow. And, you know, I wanted to get to where we were kicking ass in production as we had a solid base under this thing. We all know the hockey stick doesn't hold. And so you don't want to see that. And that's what gold was in the past. To me, the past cycles is everybody frantically ran in to do what they could during the spike. Um, But that's not a healthy market at all. And so, you know, that's the market where then I would be scrambling to try to find a buyer for the entire company at that point. You know, instead of like building an actual business, growing organically and that kind of a thing.
0: Well, I think that story. And again, like this is this is one of the things that attracted me to Idaho Strategic is the story is so different than your run of the mill, no pun intended, like gold miner, where it's like, hey, we have these awesome projections. Gold's going to be 2,500, 3,000 an ounce. We're going to do all this drilling and it's promote, 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 promote. Whereas you come in and you say, we want to build something durable and we actually want cash flows to finance the the holes that we drill. Exactly.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I knew coming as we were kind of Putting it all together, there was always, a, you know, you weren't, we definitely weren't profitable right off the bat, you know, so that's yep. that's obvious as you're growing. I mean, by definition, you almost can't be. But I, there was always this gap every quarter that I wanted us to stay within that I knew, you know, I could go out and do a targeted raise. Um, and that's one of the things we also did coming up is, you know, we picked, I don't to say we picked our investors, but the investors picked that picked us, you know, they understood us. And so you'd go reach out to them and do a targeted raise. And I didn't want to do large raises either because I wanted to be able to show people, here's what we're going to raise money on. And now you get to evaluate whether or not we do that. And I know I've got to do that because then I can't go back to you for more. Right. Right. So to me and our whole company knew that. And so that's how you kind of keep everybody like, okay, don't screw this up kind of a thing. And there was a hell of a learning curve. I mean, because you had guys, you know, they're used to the cyclicality. So even your workforce. You know, they they grew up in an, in a mining community, so they're used to the cycle going against them and the rug being pulled out from under them. And so you got to work through that mentality too. So they're they're used to right as they're kicking ass. uh oh, here comes the other side. Yeah. But now you're trying to build them to think about growing over time, and that the cycles, if we do this right, they're not going to necessarily matter as much.
0: And that's actually where I was going to go next when you talked about cycles, because like on a very very small scale a while back i used to i used to run um it was it was a seasonal business in yacht and sailboat repair and so during the summer it was rocking during the mm-hmm. winter it was dead and um you know like the workers came and left and it was and it was super super variable but when you build a a gold mining operation let's just say right your goal is you want your a6 at 1250 and as long as gold's above that, I mean, how much do you actually pay attention to the cycle itself, or is it more of an afterthought?
1: You know, we do in the fact that we sell into it, but okay. the fact the thing I like is that let me back up. So the thing to protect your boat repair business would have been to have winter boat storage, right? Yes, um, which we did. <laughs> exactly. So okay, that's good. I just want to double check that. Um, no, but, the, you know, that's what you really want is you uh, you want to build it to where, you know, at some different parts of the cycle, you just make more than other times, you know, not necessarily you're out of business. And that's what I hated as an investor when I was coming up, is that the cycle would go against the junior company that I own. And then you're like, holy crap, you look around like there's nothing there. You know, they either over leverage the assets, there's nothing there. There's no starter kit to come back from. like so. Yeah i couldn't even afford to hang on to that stock so then i had to time it and then it was like it, this is just completely wrong way to look at this I, it's completely unnatural i mean that's more speculation than it is investment and i was looking more at investment um and again i've always wanted to see building over the long term families involved the community like to me that's your legacy that's the thing that actually is endearing um Making a bunch of money and then running off to the Bahamas has never really been a a goal of mine. So
0: it's almost as if you have these like sound business practices that have stood the test of time that when you go to the mining space, they everyone just throws them away. And for some reason, mining Mm -hmm. is different. Like it has to be a different business. It has to run on different business models. And I think you're showing that you can have a cash flowing asset, producing asset in an industry that has just been known for destroying capital for decades.
1: Absolutely. No, no, that's exactly right. It's um, really, I'd say it's when I went kind of to the investment bankers, I don't want to say that it's all bad, but I will say that I do think that that led to the changing of the business model because now, you know, essentially the small company even if everybody had really good intentions, their exit strategy is tied to that investment banker's exit strategy. Yeah. You know, or the guy that gives you a bunch of money, then gets a seat on the board, and then you have to sit and listen to him. You know, so, you know, but really, if you look back to the since kind of the beginning of time, businesses started small and grew, you know, and that's really was more the norm. It's the aberration has been more the last decades or so, when more of that, easier money came into play i do think the interest rate cycles might change the mentality a bit um you know and then you had a lot of investors you know, like when i go up to canada in the early days they'd lay like okay you're a gold company you're a silver company you're a copper company done like you couldn't branch out you could do anything because that's the investment vehicle they wanted for when the cycle you know but that you were just being used at that point yeah, and so to me, it's like no, I'm going to build a business, and you can choose whether or not you want to invest, and that's really been our approach.
0: I want to dig into financing and really cost of capital in in kind of two ways. The first way is um, how you use cost of capital in determining um, capital allocation decisions, whether it's new mines, new drilling, um, you, you know, new new investments, but also on the funding side, like it's, it, it's clear that the cost of capital for mining companies has gone up dramatically. And yeah. a lot of it is these bigger banks saying, we don't want to touch mining and we don't want a piece of it. And so we're just not even going to raise. And that leaves, that leaves you with maybe more expensive funding, either from dilution, maybe some sort of royalty stream or private placements. So how has, how is the cost of capital landscape a changed since you've started and then, and then, and then B, how does that impact your decision-making?
1: So I'll tell you our philosophy towards, um, we wanted to always build something to where we were independent of having to raise money. And if we wanted to raise money, we would go out with a very purposeful approach, but if we didn't raise the money, we didn't have to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the best, the cheapest money you can get is the money you don't need. Right. And so, you know, and these guys—they can smell it when you walk in the door, and you need it. You know, and not—not not to kind of go a little graphic here, but we always called it as we were building the business, as we were also building a middle finger, and uh, the guys all knew it. I mean, these are all mining guys, and I had one guy—he's like, "Hey, boss, you know, how's that middle finger coming?" You know, and I'd be like, oh, we're not there. We're not there yet, man." Um, but this is an this is a true story. So I I'll get back to your question, but yeah, no, no, I like kind I like of a stuff. cool story. So I, yeah. We were sitting up at the mine and we had just you know we're starting to get re- break even kind of one of those up quarter down quarter i mean you know you're getting there kind of thing yeah. and i was sitting there with him and i had gone and i bought this uh shifter knob off of ebay that was a middle finger and in front of everybody i presented him with the middle finger and i said i dude i think we're we're getting really close you deserve the middle finger and he's like <laughs> so anyway that's 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 our philosophy and if you kind of probably have that as the backdrop. You'll understand all of our financing decisions from that point on. Um, But really what we do is we, you know, we've got mine engineers, professional geologists. I mean, everybody's pros. Like I I like to say that we're a company of like blue collar professionals and everybody is uh, really good at what they do. And we don't really make a capital decision unless everybody's on board. So a lot of times, like right now, we're even looking at a um, a kind of a new building that might be part of our new mill and stuff like that. And I, am literally, as we speak, working on getting input from everybody on it. Cause I, cause everybody's going to own it. And so if there's something later that isn't working, right. I want, you know, we're all going to own the good and the bad. Um, but so that's literally how we look at it. Um, it might be that, I guess I'll back up. One thing is we'd never take on debt to drill holes. So we never take on debt to explore. And so by de- if you if you have that as your backdrop, by definition, you have to be good at your business um, in order to either raise the money or fund drilling out of cash flow like yeah. that that has to be so that the death knell of these guys that go out and do royalty deals or streaming deals, you might as well just hand your business off to them because pretty much the I, I have rarely ever seen that model work for the uh, the little company or the little company shareholders. Um, so I guess the formula is not really necessarily a formula, but we have a very good um, group of us that make these decisions together. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll still make the decision. Like if I think even if everything they say is nuts, then we gotta go a different way. They know that I'll. They kind of know the way I'm thinking, but I definitely want all of the input going into it.
0: And so when you say everyone, like how like is it everyone in the company, or is it you know hey like we've got a group, maybe we'll call them the board in air quotes
1: yeah so it's it's most of our i call them senior leadership that kind of sounds like a buzzword type of thing it's probably the most buzzwordy we get (laughs) um but it's the guys that are all my age but then it's also the younger guys that i also like to say that are doing all the work (laughs) um it's pretty much there's probably a group of about eight or ten of us that that will run this by but you know i'll go to the mill and steve up there running the loader i'll get his input you know because he might have a good idea um you know i don't mind talking to their ground guys and getting their input you know and if i think usually you can talk to the guy that's the leader or boss or you know manager or whatever and kind of get a feel but i also will ask them hey go ask your guys like go go find out like you know i genuinely want to get the information um and i think even like a construction project like i'm very big into historic preservation and mm. um stuff like that and uh like i'll get a lot of input from the guy swinging the hammer because that's the dude i mean that's the guy that you know you want his input um when you're working on anything underground you want the guy that's standing there at the face like you want his input like now you may not want all of his input but you know you 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 know plus it's, it's just good it's good business and it's like it and it's ownership and Kind of more like a family business would run it, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. When gold's at two thousand and it's in a nice uptrend, it's not you know making lows. I think it's easy to um, you know just have this sense of security in 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 the business model, which at the end of the day, as long as the gold price is above the A six, things are generally okay. But I do want to explore the idea of cost inflation because that's one of the big um, just kind of red flags that people put on mining companies and honestly like that's one of the big red flags i have like i'm bullish copper for the long term but i'm trying to restrain some of that excitement because i know that you know copper prices could go up 10% but inflation costs could go up 20 25% and yeah. you know this better than most people you're on yeah. you're, you're 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 on the ground and so how do you manage this cost inflation like what are some levers you
1: can pull if any you know one of the things we're pretty fortunate in that a lot of the cost inflation that we we've already experienced most of what we're going to experience so you know you had the wage inflation you had diesel prices you had tires all that stuff um and we've done a good job of paying down like equipment debt and we don't really have land payments and all that so the idea was to get a lot of that kind of stuff taken care of. So if you did hit that situation of cost inflation, you didn't have both, right? Um, so it's it's kind of one of those things that bleeds through from the very beginning because you know you're going to hit it. Like, let's just say, you know, normal is not, normal situation is that things change, right? It's not that things just, it's like you have to be ready for that, especially in mining. Um, but one of the ways we do it, and this kind of goes back, you know, when I, I I had a drilling company and I was part of it, you know, and I I was sat in this big meeting with Newmont down in Nevada and they put up this chart. This guy was doing this gold price, um, prediction. And I noticed that Newmont's costs were going right up with the gold price. I was like, well, that's a terrible investment then because you guys haven't figured this out. And I don't think it's that way anymore, but I noticed then it was,
0: Mm -hmm. and I was like,
1: but so if you're going to have this business, you want to make sure that sometimes you make more, sometimes you make less. But you want to try to keep that cost structure there now you will have to do other things like if you're going to step out um most of our guys know that we will spend money to drill in the <coughs> excuse me in the murray gold belt because we control a whole entire gold belt that's uh hasn't been explored really for 120 years and has been in one family for a long time so you know they they also want to do that um so they there's a lot of the guys that I don't think um, like wage inflation and that kind of stuff. One of our philosophies is like everybody there's, we have bonus plans and stuff like that set up, but I also like to share, we have a, we have kind of a, a situation where we want them to know that when we do better, they're going to do better. Hmm. You know, and part of our legacy is, is we want, we want people to look back at our company and say, you know, those guys were the kind of that, the best place to work ever in the, in North Idaho. Um, so we, we, we don't uh i guess the the the, kind of the cool part about us is we have this deal where we do like an extra paycheck if we're doing really well you know so and i the part of the way that we worked at is i also i don't get a bonus either unless we give that out and so i kind of tell the guys well don't screw this up because i i actually wouldn't mind a bonus myself so (laughs) um but so i don't worry as much about the cost inflation now the thing that we look at is like if we're going to expand and you know double production, that decision, I don't want to just do that to do that, yeah like if you're just gonna do that and swap dollars with a bank or whatever, screw that like um we don't want to do that we 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 understand cost inflation quite well because we eat and breathe it every single day mm-hmm. i mean I, I I look at it every every day that that uh, I open my email and stuff like that
0: and you've got a plan like you mentioned expansion and you know, again, this goes back to what makes you guys a little different is you're not throwing a bunch of dollars in raising a ton of debt to try to quadruple production in 12 months, you have a right. thought out plan. And so for those that aren't familiar with the company, like how much gold do you produce now? And how much do you want to produce, you know, so let's say three to five years from now?
1: so our goal over time um i'd say 3 to 5 years is that uh 10 to 15 to 20,000 ounces a year i mean that's where we want to get that's natural mine expansion and probably one or two other say projects nearby the mine that we're actually advancing into operations mm-hmm. um and for the scale of that, the golden chest mine sits on 220 acres. I think I might've mentioned that, but that we own, we control 7,000 acres there. So it shows you the potential is is pretty good. Um, I'm sorry. What was the first part of the question? How much gold do you produce now?
0: And oh, how yeah. much do you want, you know, do you, do you, do you want to produce and then the plan to get there?
1: So we've grown about 50% a year for the last three, four years. And we did 8,000 ounces, over 8,000 ounces in 23. Um, you know, right now we haven't, we don't really put out guidance or any of that kind of stuff. So I I need to be careful, but I'll just say that we feel pretty darn comfortable continuing with our kind of how we, (laughs) you know, if our past record is any indication, you know, we're, we're going for it. So how Mm -hmm. about that? That's, um, you know, we don't have any, uh, we do know that the gold's at 2000 and we do want to put money in the bank and we do want to explore. And we do want, uh, you know, the old guys to be able to retire and the young guys come in and grow this thing even bigger. And the the cool thing is about our younger folks coming up is they're really, really good. And I think this, I think it's in good hands. And um, it's just, a, it's I have never seen a setup like this in my entire career. So that's kind of one of the, the things that's got me the most excited.
0: Well, and you mentioned labor, which I think is the most important aspect and probably the most dangerous Aspect of the future of mining for many companies, um, you can have you can have the highest grades, but if there's no one there to drill them, and if there's no one there to take them out and process them, then it doesn't it doesn't really matter what the yeah. grades are or what the cost is. You guys have clearly found a playbook that works for hiring great people and hiring great talent and i know like on your investor presentations it says you know idaho strategic we live here every man go every man and woman goes home at the end of the day which is very unique in mining and why is that you know why why, why is that so unique to idaho strategic why haven't other ceos of even smaller producers tried to
1: replicate that you know, I think and I don't want to say everybody, there's some good companies out there that that really, truly believe in that same kind of, uh, of mentality. But when I grew up here in Coeur d'Alene, you know, it was mostly timber based and say tourism and just over the hill in the Silver Valley, it was mining based and timber. And, um, you know, in the 1980s, when the economy fell out of the timber and mining, everybody had to leave to find jobs. So it was really and that's stuck with all the guys my age. You know, so they all had to leave Um, a number of people, you know, they missed their kids growing up or there's divorces or whatever. And so we've really focused like our form of ESG begins with a good job and a good job that actually allows families to stay together within the community where they are. And that goes all the way through the way we run the operations to the environmental stuff to our mentality all the way through. And I, and I really believe that we're not only getting investors that believe that, but we're getting employees that believe that. And you know, when you look back at even during COVID, you know, we worked all the way through COVID, you know, I was really active. We were very active on Instagram and Facebook, but that was really more for the wives and girlfriends and families. So mm-hmm. they knew what was going on while, you know, people were at work and that like, kind of, we got this, like, it's okay. Let the other noise happen. But this is the safe space kind of. And that's the way we, we approached it. And uh, you know, you can see it even like at our like our Christmas party and stuff like that. Like everybody owns what's going on. It's not just like I'm standing up there in front. You know, everybody gets along really well. The other part about it too is I believe, and I one of the reasons I think that separates us that I just don't think you'll see other companies do, is as a CEO, I make Grant and I make the same salary, and that's by design. We've done that from the beginning. He's head of operations, um, but we're not very far above the miners and we're within reach, you know? And so, you know, I think we're like 1.4 times the average employee salary. You know, you look at some of these other companies and it's like 68 times, you know, the average employees, what the CEO makes. Well, you're not gonna build a culture with that. And so, but that individual wants to live a certain lifestyle and so that's impossible under their leadership. And so if they're willing to come down and make what a miner makes or make somewhere close to it, well, then he can actually go build a culture. But unless you're willing to make that sacrifice, it isn't going to happen. And Grant and I have purposely done that. But then also the other people we've brought in, like our, our geologists could make more money working somewhere else. But hmm. they also like this. I've bought into it, too. So it's uh, it's very um, it's extremely unique. And it's one of these things that's also like a virtuous cycle. It really starts to, I mean, you're starting to, it, it just starts attracting more and more people.
0: Do you get like inbound requests from other mining companies where guys are like, Hey, do you have any spots open? I want to come work for you. Oh, yeah. At,
1: yeah. Yeah. We have a list. Yeah. We have wow. a list and we, but we also live by the no asshole rule too. So, you know, there, you can't, uh, like if you bring in a friend, you're responsible. That guy's a jerk. You've just kind of pissed everybody off. And mm-hmm. so you know, then mining's, you know, it's it's a tough business, and it's ah uh, you got to focus on safety. and there's a lot of things that's not just like a normal business. But yeah, we have we actually have a list, and um it's really cool to see because in the beginning, we didn't have a list, and we were trying to convince people to work with us and like, you got to trust us. And they're like, well, kind of like that thing. Well, I've never seen anybody do it that way before. We're like, well, that's that's okay, you know? And then the ones that, I always have this philosophy that people kind of fire themselves, you know, when the expectations are there, it works. But, you know, usually by the third time you get together, we both know why we're meeting and then it's like, okay. You know, it it keeps it very simple that way. So
0: I, I wonder just again, like when it comes to intangible assets, having that list of people that want to come work for you in the mining industry is a lot more valuable than I think people, people give credit to. And that's, I mean, you're not going to find that on the balance sheet, obviously, but again, it's like one of those soft things where like people are struggling, like mining companies are struggling to find labor. And if you have a, if you have a waiting list, that is extremely
1: valuable. It it is. And you tie that into, I mean, that's our guys. I mean, that's, I, you know, I laid the, the groundwork, but they are, you know, they walk through the door with that one, you know, that's, and, Boy, oh boy have they have they owned it so that that list is a credit to what everybody all you know, the guys have pulled together but you know you tie that in with our you know our operations we're look our mill is located on interstate 90 in north idaho you know and our mine is located on a state highway and we're located in a mining community so you know you tie that into the fact when we drill a hole somewhere we've got an operating mine right next door like all those are things that when somebody's out there looking at, you know, a, a little company drilling holes in somewhere in Canada, um, those holes aren't created equal. Mm-hmm. And so the it's just all these things like, you, you know, we all these things coming together is what makes us a little bit different.
0: I want to shift the topic to the gold price itself and gold's making new highs, but the gold miners are actually making relatively new lows, which is a very interesting dichotomy. I know we've yeah. we've talked in the past about, you know, what I think is maybe like a slingshot opportunity or just you know this coiled spring in some of these junior plays. But if you had if you had to guess, I mean, why why is there such a discrepancy between where the gold price sits and where let's say like the you know the junior minor ETF sits?
1: I think it's a little bit that we have a different investor base out there now um i think a lot of the folks that even knew how to analyze gold companies are gone you know there isn't even an an, um the analyst community isn't what it was 10 or 15 years ago and then also you had investors you know part of your portfolio back in the day was that you wanted to have like five percent exposure to precious metals well i think it's like less than a it's like a half a percent now is the average or something like that um I mean i look at it like it's a huge opportunity for people i don't know when that i've noticed it myself um but i also think you know the the pure play mining company thing is just not people don't understand it so they're not going to step out if you if you show you're building a business there's a lot of business guys that can look at our company and they kind of know how to evaluate it and they know how to evaluate the people and they know how to And so they'll bet on the people and the plan versus like, you know, if they're going to go buy gold, I mean, one of the things like, this is a little bit of a strange theory that I was thinking about the other day. I mean, it's almost like, you know, you've got all of the, not all of them, but let's just say a a large number of the, you know, like China and Russia, the central banks, they're all buying gold, you know, and gold priced in their currencies is also really high. And those communities and those folks in India too, they all buy physical gold. Um, it's almost like we're even outsourcing our gold production to the people that are buying, buying the physical assets. I mean, if you really think about that, I mean, it's, I was just the other day thinking about it, like, holy crap, it almost looks like that's what we're doing. Like we're just producing gold and these other guys are buying it. Um, so as far as the juniors go and the, even the majors, the barracks and the new months, I'll tell you what, this is the first time I'm, i do not own really any other stocks except IDR you know, and I, I've been an investor for a long time. Um, I just started looking at dipping my toe in the water with these guys. Wow! So it, and I don't know what that tells you, uh, but I, I, uh, I think they're cheap, you know, kind of in general. Um, cheaper than they've ever been because they've also been through a lot of this cost inflation and they figured it all out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they also have to replace reserves too. And a lot of the lower price stuff, you know, the higher grade gold deposits are gone. We're going to have to start gravitating to more underground deposits and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, I don't have a good answer. I've got a lot of observations, but I don't have a really good answer for it. Um, You know, it used to be that one one kind of had to validate the other you know the gold price or the shares like and you waited around for it but and but back in the day we didn't necessarily have the foreign demand as the backdrop that i think we have now Mm -hmm. and so i'm not so sure you're going to see the validation of the gold price coming all the way down to validate where the stocks are i think you're probably going to i think the the prector is more to the upside on the shares yeah i mean it's
0: it's, it's 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 funny you mention, you know, the US is producing gold just so that the rest of the world can buy it and it's the opposite of pretty much every other base metal where the rest of the world makes it and we buy it and we use it. Isn't it?
1: I know, that's what I was thinking of, literally what I was thinking about. Like that's just uh it's just another one of those kind of crazy things that we all are experiencing these days that we didn't use to.
0: One of the other aspects that I want to spend the rest of the time on that makes IDR unique is you know, we've got this cash flow positive gold mining business, right? Where you use the cash flows to explore. And, but you've also have this massive land package for rare earth elements. And I believe it was your son who gave a really good presentation in front of some Congress people. Um, yeah. And it's on, it's on YouTube. So if you want to go just search Idaho strategic, um, it should be one of the latest videos, but walk me through. Why you're so excited about this, you know, massive rare earth
1: elements package? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's not just that we went out and grabbed a bunch of land that has to you have to start from scratch on. These are basically projects that were already listed in our national inventory for rare earth elements. So there's been a lot of work already done by our government. So they're recognized. So we had a hell of a head start on that. Um, The first three years of having that land package we felt we needed to educate people on what it even meant and to be honest with you now we've spent a lot of time building relationships with the department of energy um like idaho national labs university of idaho oak ridge colorado school of mines montana tech i mean it was like the 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 number of i think i said it once before but one of the Things is last year, I think we did like 10 years worth of relationship building in one year. It was incredible. That sounds exhausting. It, it's just, but one of the things I'm seeing now is um, I. no matter what your political affiliation is now, I'm personally, I'm starting to see alignment of everybody sees that there's an issue, whether it's de- defensive, whether it's climate change, whether it's EVs, it does not matter what your thing is, the common denominator is, we're going to need a lot more mining, a lot more responsible mining and processing in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And the event I was at in Denver, I was the only company that's pretty much invited to that. It was closed door. There's a hundred of us there. Lots of national labs. I was on a panel, um, and they had folks from the EPA, uh, tribal groups, uh, you name it. All the national labs, universities. And everybody was on the same page, as far as the fact that we've all got a challenge, our country has a challenge and we need to solve this. And that right there having, there was no politics, but when you've got people that are usually typically against one sector or another in the same room, um, I've never seen this setup like this. And to me, this is the pivot off the bottom. That's the ring and the bell. That's the, you know, and this was, you know, three weeks ago. Um, And so I have thought this for a while and I think it even more so now, we're literally building an entire industry on the rare earth critical minerals processing from the mine all the way to the end product, whether that's a magnet or a battery or whatever that's going to be. We're literally starting from scratch on almost all of these pieces of this. And so you might have these little cycles in between, but the overall trend and demand is up and to the right. And you rarely ever see that like you. It's just something like when I say when I say this is unlike anything I've ever seen, it is literally unlike anything I've ever seen to have that opportunity, Um, you know, and and one of our projects is already lines up favorably with some of the larger ones, like geologically speaking, lines up favorably with some of the larger ones um, in the world like Travis uh, had in that presentation. And one thing I'll say about his presentation is um, it was a little bit twofold. I wanted the folks in the house to kind of see uh, in that committee to see all of what we're all about, you know, and we sent Trav up there, but he's also the best person for the job. I I could not have done that presentation and he killed it. Um, But that's also why, I mean, it's kind of like, there's always people in that can step in and that kind of thing, but I'm really excited about that. I mean, there's a lot of components within that that are feeling their way out, feeling their way along, you know, and people don't know yet, um, the beauty of of what we do is we actually have an operating track record in the state of Idaho. And I, I've said this before. So when we hand somebody like a sample to go study, like a national lab, when they go to study separation and all of that, they know that comes from a group that has an operating track record that, you know, employs people and all that. I'm not a promoter guy looking to get, you know, run a, run the stock up on a press release. And so we've done a really, we've worked very, very hard to build that kind of a base. So when this opportunity came up, we were the people, like we were like, we were the guys and I yeah, think well, that's why I keep getting invited to these things to, to sit on these panels. And sometimes I think I'm just saying captain obvious stuff, but then people think it's like, like unique.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it's funny that. I even got you on the podcast because you are the opposite of a promoter type. And again, that's one of the reasons that drew me to this is I, I feel like, and again, I could be wrong, but I feel like you would rather, you know, be at the, at the mine, at the mill alongside the guys than doing a podcast like this, like to be, you know, like, like, just to be honest, like I'm super stoked. You chose to do this podcast, but you are the type of guy that would rather just go to work and then release the results when they happen, not promise anything and just say like, look, this is what we're doing. This is our plan. Here's an update and then go back to work.
1: I'm a back row guy, not a front row guy. Yeah. I mean, this, the fact that I'm even doing this stuff anymore um, is amazing to even me. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I mean, I went through all through college, just, you know, finding every way. So I didn't have to take speech class so you know that was one of them i just don't like that i really do think you know we sit back we go kick some ass and we'll tell everybody about it later you so know it why were
0: why were you guys fortunate enough or lucky enough to get this massive land package like why you over somebody else like did like did it just go completely unnoticed or was there a bidding war
1: you Know it's understanding history. I, I've been following the uh, you know, because I'm an investor too, so I you know, you follow supply demand dynamics, you follow commodities, I real estate. Um, I've been following the rare earths. I first started out following industrial metals in like, um, like I always wanted to own a gravel pit, so that's just another, um, but. The, uh, I started falling in the late nineties and I was like, you know, this, I, there was a report put out by the USGS in the late nineties, early two thousands. And I was like, okay, I'm looking at this critical mineral thing. I'm like, and it's showing us actually being producers and China to kind of coming up. And I'm like, well, this is not actionable now, but one day it might be, you know? And so you fast forward, I was talking to Rob, um, our, our head geo, and he's had kind of the similar things. And for about five years now, he and I have kind of talked about it off and on. and um, you know, and we we kind of had the playbook set up. Honestly, we 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 knew about what we would go after when we did it. You know, you don't want to have this large unwieldy claim package way too early, especially when you're building your mining operations and all of that. I mean, you know, early is kind of equals wrong, you know, like and so it it uh, or it can equal wrong. And so we really uh, when when COVID barely, barely began, you know rob and i we were we were in the car actually um coming back from the vancouver show and and i was like dude, this this is the ring and the bell like we just saw it like we almost couldn't get back to the office fast enough and he could get down and start lining up the claim blocks and the land package and all that i mean we were literally out staking claims in four feet of snow you know <laughs> i mean it was just that kind of thing we're like oh shit, china's coming in everybody sees this oh my god you know Yeah. And then it was flipping crickets for two straight years after that you know <laughs> but but that was really it so we really focused on building the relationships and the one thing that's different on rare earth versus gold is the mineralogy um and the metallurgy of the rare earth elements is super important to the processing side it is in gold but right now the way this is going to go forward is a lot of the national labs and stuff are going to work on this processing and refining part of rare earths. But they really focus on, I call it the science, but it's the the metallurgy side. They don't necessarily care if you have a large deposit right now. They want to know like you, your company, they can trust that ore looks like it can be processed. You know, when we first started out, we got invited to a meeting about 18 months ago at Idaho National Labs. There were people there actually ordering their rare earth elements and critical minerals off of Amazon so they could study how to separate them. That's literally how far behind our country was. It was scary, and so you know I'm like, well, that didn't make any sense because now you're studying separation of rare earths and you're gonna you're gonna design a mill to process it from shit you bought off of Amazon, um, and we're literally two hours from one of the best deposits in the country. You know at Idaho National Labs and it's our Lemhi Pass project. So. Why don't we get you guys some rocks? I mean, that's literally how I started.
0: <laughs> well, I think the other issue with rare earths, and when I say issue, I just mean issue from like an investor's perspective, is yeah. there's no liquid market for a lot of these rare earths. And so yeah, like, okay. I, can, I can go on my brokerage app. I can see exactly where gold's trading. I can see where the futures price of gold is trading, and I know exactly the price I'm getting. Mm-hmm. With rare earths, you do not. Like, I, nope. I cannot just go get an index for, you know, all of the 17 or, you know, one of the 17 rare earths that exist. So how do you think this market evolves to a level of transparency and liquidity to where you guys can monetize this at some point?
1: It's, it's um, I think this is why this is the perfect setup. It, it's because we are walking into a situation where nobody, people don't even know how to invest in it. Yeah. You know, um, we've had investors, you know, like, you know, VC guys call up and go, well, we know we need exposure, but we don't even know how to look at this. And I'm like, OK, you know, I can tell you about us and then you make the decision. <clears throat> they just don't. They want to force it into this this model that simply does not exist. Yeah. And largely because the industry does not exist that much. Um but that's one of the things that's one of the beauties. It's literally how we started our company. We started at 1080 Gold when you couldn't actually make any money producing gold at 1080. Um, it's the exact same way. And I, I, I mentioned this in Denver. Everybody was saying that a lot of the majors won't touch rare earth elements or critical minerals because China will just dump on the market and kill the price. And therefore, they don't want to put the investment in. And I, I was like, well, that's the wrong way to look at this. You're looking that's a short term issue over a you know to address a long term problem. What we need to do is we need to make the investment. We all know pretty much that this demand is coming. Like it almost doesn't even matter if it's, you know, one year, two years, three years, five years, whatever. It The change is coming. We know it and we got to get started. And I told him, I said, I don't really care what the price is because we're going to invest. You know, our business will invest in advancing these things and we will keep advancing until it 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 does make a difference. And until that, that liquidity, it's like a stock, you know, like a, a little... little junior company whatever micro cap you know as price goes up volume seems to go up you know and then those next investors come in and i i i believe that's exactly how this is going to grow and one of the things that we've been talking to um even some folks in the kind of bigger picture in the government was that they've they've been asking us like well what is it you need like and really the ideas we've been giving them, as I said, we really do need to focus on actually getting the stuff out of the ground. You guys can only study processing so much, you know, we really are going to have to just rip that bandaid off and talk about drilling. Yeah. And, um, and so that seems to be working. Um, they, they've they've, re- they've sought out our advice on like, is it cost share for, um, drilling? Is it, you know, what is it you need? Cause I've been trying to work them towards drilling and resource development as, as R and D. Like if you're really trying to solve this problem, there's always R&D in the front end. Well, that's really what resource definition is all about. And so but we are looking at the early stages of this. But I actually do think when the wrong headline comes across um, or whatever, I really think that the government sees that we have got to address this problem. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. The the folks that are involved, that are responsible for solving these problems, they see the issue. And I don't think they care who's in the White House. They're going to have to solve it.
0: And then the other thing too, with 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 the whole China dumping, you know, their 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 metals onto the market, you're seeing now, like just yesterday, a, bo- a lot of a lot of cars. Um, you know, there was there were there were some cars that were halted at an import station because they had China manufactured components that weren't supposed to be there. Like you, like those were not approved. And so, what's to say China tries to do that? The US government could easily say, look, we need, you know, we need sustainably sourced, domestically sourced rare earths because they're going, these things literally go into fighter jets, um, Mm -hmm. like defense detective systems, cell phones, like very high tech things that can be used for military purposes, defense purposes. And so there could be a world where it doesn't matter how much China produces because, according to the US, you have to have locally sourced rare earths or it's not going to fly
1: exactly like by 2026 which i think i yep. kind of laughed at earlier and said it's almost virtually impossible to meet that goal yes but i think you know like what the dod guys tell us they don't give a crap about what the price is they they you know they're tasked with defending our country yeah and so they don't care like we've got to get like we need this and then on the other side um you know you have the markets and you can't those two don't necessarily go together but but they will they're going to merge and i you know technology in mind like to me Technology equals mining. Like, you can't have one without the other. And I, I really do think there's a little bit of a, a – if you've, even if it's on purpose or not, but I think our, our government is actually slow-played discussing this a lot. Yes. Almost because I think people would be really freaked out if they really understood how prepared we are. Yeah. And it's not, it's not any one president's fault. It's kind of all of them. You know, for the last 20, 30 years, we kind of screwed this up.
0: Well, we screwed it up because – it was so easy to outsource all of this stuff because it was so low cost and no one wants a rare earth mine in their backyard. And, exactly. and I was actually just talking about this with uh, Ernest Scheider, who just wrote the book, The War Below. And he literally addresses this problem where he's like, look, like, we're now facing these issues because we wanted to outsource everything. And now China controls sometimes up to 99% of rare earth element processing and refining. And we in the U.S. don't have the infrastructure to build that. Like we don't we don't have that available. We can't just flip the switch on and off and say, "Okay, China, we don't want to use you anymore. Like we need massive investments. And it all starts again. Like if it's not grown out of the ground, it's mine. And that's
1: how you Mm -hmm. get. absolutely. And we're not you know, we're going to we're entering a world where we're going to have to get comfortable not being the lone superpower. You know, it's just it's just evolving. It's the way it's going. We could wish for the past, but that's not going to happen. And, um, you know, just, uh, it was interesting when we first started on this a couple, three years ago, there were some programs that came out of the government and I was like, you know, okay, this is the way they, they want to try to solve the problem. And this is the way it's going to get solved. And so there were a lot of folks in the government that are like, exactly that. It's kind of that, you know, uh, wishing one hand and shit in the other kind of thing. And it, and it just, it, it didn't, um, it didn't fit. But now the people that are tasked with solving the problem are tasked with solving the problem. And I'm seeing everybody on the same page practically. Now, there's going to be all these things flying around that, you know, coal ash and all this other stuff. That's fine. You know, I think we got to throw a lot of stuff at the wall to kind of see what works because we are starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, we have the deposits in the US, we have the knowledge in the US, and we just need the willpower to do it in the US. I think you're going to start to see. really going to start to see i think 2024 is going to be a pretty big year for um addressing the rare earth element critical mineral shortages in the u.s as far as getting behind regional processing centers and um and the government coming in you know trying to bridge that gap like they need to and one of the things i've told people is they said you know you come in with a little bit of funding on the drilling or resource development side you know if i need to go raise a little bit more to also drill i've got something to build from but you know, I'm not going to risk our mine in North Idaho to go through all those holes to save our country. Like I I just, it's just, we can't do that.
0: Yeah. So anyway,
1: it's, I think the opportunity is pretty big out there right now.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it is too. And I think, I think you're sitting on quite the asset, quite, quite the national strategic asset as well. Um, and this is, this has been such a fun conversation. I'm glad, I'm, I'm really glad you did it because, you know it's 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 guys like you it's operators like you that you know like really excite me about doing podcasts like this and like picking the brains of people like yourself that are on the ground that are building things like building a company um taking it from you know a money losing operation buying the shares becoming ceo and turning it into a cash flow machine and now there's all this rare earth element plays and like stuff you probably didn't even dream about when you first started buying like stock in this company. Um, and so it's awesome that you, you know, gave me an hour of your time to, to, to explore all those things. And so I hope the word spreads, um, obviously I'm a shareholder and so, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got interest there, but just as, as a person and as, and as a business builder, I really, I really enjoyed your story. And, um, I want to end with just a couple questions. The first one, and this, the, this one is just something that's fascinated me. You own a gold mining company. If there was another metal that you could <laughs> be the producer of CEO of a, of a producer of what would it be and why?
1: Oh boy. <laughs> um,
0: and you can't say rare earths cause you're already kind of doing that. No. And there's like
1: 17 of them. I, I know you kind of really cut my, uh, cut me back. Um, <laughs> you know, that's interesting i i do like the 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 supply demand profile for copper but that's a that's a tough business to start small in you know and so it just is it's just a fact um we've been on a lot of tours with people guys coming in bigger companies and stuff talking to them and we always seem as we're walking up the trail to go look bang on rocks we're always talking about copper And how many more of that mine need to be created every year in order for us to meet future demand. Like, it's always that, um, I, I kind of like graphite, you know, on the graphite side that, you know, is just one of those things. Like I like, I like common denominators, you know, things that are going to be there, um, and have a history of demand almost regardless of what the situation is. Hmm. Um, you know, you're going to see, there's a lot of other stuff too, you know, we've looked at even on the rare earth side, there's uh, there's a few of the more obscure metals that you don't use a lot of, but those could really be money makers for you in the future, especially if they're a byproduct and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, I've always
1: been, I always liked silver, but I, I, I started out as kind of as a kid buying silver and stuff, but I I haven't been as much of a silver guy, even though I, I will be honest, I own Hecla shares. but um, that's more because they're local and that's the only other mining company I own a few shares of, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I hope that helps you. But there's, you know, you could look at the tin market, you can look at, uh, you know, steel, which isn't really a, you know, I'm just, you know, commodities in general. I'm a big real estate guy. I like things that have value regardless of the medium of exchange, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff.
0: Have you ever thought, and again, this might be a very stupid question. Um, have you ever thought, You've got this business, right? You've got these, you know, assets, cash, receivables, inventory. Have you thought about just accumulating some of these metals that you're bullish on and just sticking them on the balance sheet and just saying, "Hey, you know, we've got some extra cash." Like, I know we produce gold, but we're going to start stockpiling some copper or some tin or graphite. Like, has that thought crossed your mind or is that even like a logical thing to do?
1: well, it it has. It's just that you also gotta realize you're not getting any revenue from that. Yeah. So you gotta your business has to be profitable enough to not yeah. receive that revenue coming in. Yeah. Um, and so that to me is always, you know, I but I'm a guy that you know you look back in the old days, companies used to pay dividends, you know, they used to do that kind of stuff. that that's how you, that's how you evaluated the the health of a deposit or a company in the mining industry. There literally used to be a sign along Interstate 90 heading through the Silver Valley where the sunshine and Bunker Hill and all the big mines were. And they would, there was a sign that said how much the Valley paid in dividends to the shareholders that year. Wow. And I'm like, you know, that's, but mining got away from that. Yeah. You know, it really got away from it. And so, you know, you got to make the decisions of reinvesting and all of that. But I think. I think stockpiling and having a resource. Look, I, I am, a, I am one of those guys that likes to have a safety net beyond safety nets. Like, you know, that's kind of how our business is structured. Um, our real estate that we have is phenomenal, regular old residential real estate, but it actually is mining ground, you know? So to me, gold goes to 500 bucks. We have one hell of a real estate portfolio. And that's the way i look at it. that's the fallback that's the starter kit for the you know we turn it into saint joe company and we start building condos kind of a thing <laughs> um yeah so those that's just kind of how i look at it I, I don't know if that really answered what you're asking but that's sort of how we think about no it,
0: it did it did i mean it was just something that i thought about um and and you know just if i if i if i was in your shoes and i was throwing off cash and i was just kind of obsessed with with these different metals it'd be hard yeah. for me not to be like oh let's take you know let's, Let's take some money and let's store some tin or let's store some copper in our vaults. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, it's, it's you know, look, your mind naturally goes there. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. I hope we're in a situation one day where that becomes something that the board wants to talk about. Um, That'd be a great, that'd be a great problem to have.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Where can people go to find out more about you um, and, you know, just the company itself or maybe even some of your, you know, prior uh, podcasts or engagements?
1: Um, well, Idaho strategic, dot uh, com is a website. Uh, we're out there on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, I believe. Yeah. Facebook. Um, I did a podcast with, uh, Ian castle a while back. Um, that was kind of interesting. That talked a little more about, about my past and it kind of gives you a flavor of how many arrows and scars we've got from, you know, this all didn't happen overnight. These are all lessons learned the hard way on up for all of us. Um, you know and then um you know on the historic side you know because i am a fan of history and and saving old houses and stuff like that and you know about five years ago i actually saved an old house and we floated it across lake coeur d'alene and put it on our lake lot so if you want to go see the video of that it's travis swallow house move on youtube <laughs> and when you look at that it kind of gives you especially when you look at what it is now because it looks like an old-fashioned homestead on a lake that has 30 40 million dollar mansions you know it's completely illogical I guess from a a return perspective but the intangible is is that we save this historic place on this historic Bay and uh that's really how we function and it's the real it's the real deal we kind of eat our own cooking
0: yeah well one of my you mentioned historic sites and I'm I I, I love historic sites and one of my favorite places to go is Mount Vernon and in in virginia and one of my dreams i've got like two out there dreams first one is to own the washington commanders football team you know former redskins commanders football team the second one is to own mount vernon and i know it's it's privately owned in a nonprofit. uh one day i would love to you know buy it myself and just continue that legacy and and just just pour as much money as i could into it to make sure that it survived another 150 250 years
1: No, that's really, that's super cool. I, you know, look, I, I've had these visions since I was a kid and I'm a, I'm a big believer that you have the vision and the universe starts to kind of, if you believe it and work towards it, it'll start to kind of happen and come together. Um, and that's what we've done even like working with my own kids, um, and allowing other dads and moms to work with their kids. You know, that's something that I've wanted to do since I was literally in high school because I didn't have that. And, uh, but it also has to make sense from a business perspective. I mean, our, we have a lot of family members that work for within our company and they have to work harder than everybody else. I mean, there is no place to hide because there's 10 other dads that are going to have your ass if you're not doing it right. You know, (laughs) I mean, literally like that. Yeah. But on the historic side too, I think communities have kind of forgotten where they came from and you know, we are only here for a short time. And I think the the thing you leave behind is you got to leave some of that behind. And I, You know, I, I have this, not you didn't ask this, but I have this kind of this concept of what's, what's an, a, enough, like on a personal level. And when you get mm-hmm. to where you've got what you think is enough, then the rest of it sure as hell better go back into, into the, the community or helping out or whatever. And that's yeah. really what we've done as a family. So, I love and that. everybody around here kind of knows that and, and our company is that way too. You know, that's the way I think most all of us share the same vision. So.
0: That's awesome, and you know, look again. Um, the best grade for a company over the long term, uh, in most respects, is its share price, and 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 how it performs. And uh, Ian Castle actually sent me this. He was like, "Make sure you bring this up." Um, if you if you look since 2015, and again, this is past performance, not indicative of future returns. But it'd be nice if it was. Since 2015, you uh, you guys at Idaho Strategic have returned 449%. And the next closest in this little basket that includes Hecla, Barrick, Franco Nevada, McEwen, Pan American Silver, and Lundin. The next closest is Lundin Mining. Or I'm sorry, the next closest is Franco Nevada at 119%. And wow. so you look at the sustained track record of what you guys have done over time, and this is not, this is not a promotion story. This is not a quick flip. This is something that you're building, and it's showing in the stock price. Um, and I just want people to realize that, like, this is this is a long term thing. You're making long term bets, and you're building long term roots. Um, and so, yeah. you know, just just wanted to congratulate you on that. That's a hell of a effort to beat all those guys. And so, the last question I have for you, John. If you could have dinner with one person from the past or the present, who would it be and why?
1: Oh boy, um, you should have told me you were going to ask this question. I I would have <laughs> thought about it more. Um, oh boy, I uh, I'm a big student of history, so there's a whole bunch of people on that list. But um, you know, I'll I'll tell you. The thing that I we went out to the uh, Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting that was a bucket list item of mine, and I went with my two boys. And so, when my boys were born, I thought I always wanted to go, we didn't have the money to really for me to kind of get off work and go. And then I went, and my two boys, you know, we went together and all of that. I, uh, you know, this sounds really, everybody says, you know, Warren Buffett or whatever, but I literally would say that. So I, you know, in college, I actually did a report on on Berkshire Hathaway before anybody really knew about it, you know, and uh even the professors like, dude, you know, C plus kind of a thing, you know, and uh yeah. And and so I would, you know, I'd have to say Warren Buffett if I know it's cliche kind of to jump in there and say that, but yeah. um there's so many people in history that i would love i'm a a huge student of of history but um i'm gonna be honest i
0: thought i thought you would say theodore roosevelt i'm gonna be oh yeah
1: yeah well no that's a good one i yeah teddy roosevelt would be there's a there's you know i i follow history a lot and there's a lot of um he would have been a really good one yeah yeah. You should have just told me that you were going to ask this question. I would, have come up with a, I would have come up with a really, really good answer there that nobody would have expected.
0: You know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to, it's going to be funny. We're going to, we're going to finish this podcast. And in like a couple days, you're going to text me and be like, ah, oh, this we is gotta, who I would have said.
1: Yeah. I'm going to put that same shirt on. Let's do this over.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, John, thanks again so much for doing this best of luck with Idaho for the next five, 10, 20, you know, however many years you can keep doing this. Um, I think you're building something special and, uh, I hope people, you know, hear this story and just want to learn more about you. And if they, if they don't buy your stock, I don't care. I just want people to know that you're building something unique and you're doing it your way and it's special. So thanks. Yeah, for no, we,
1: we really appreciate I appreciate your time. And I'll definitely pass it along to the guys and the gals. I mean, that's they deserve all the credit. They're they're doing the heavy lifting every day, and I'll, I'll definitely pass it along for sure. I imagine they're all going to watch this, so I definitely had to thank them. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> awesome. Today's episode is also brought to you by Marhelm Data. Marhelm is an information service for investors to find real value in an overvalued market. With a focus on shipping and commodities, Marhelm helps you stay on the pulse of global trade, track global sentiment, and identify compelling global investment opportunities. Value Hive listeners can get 20% off a Marhelm data subscription by using the code VALUE at checkout. That's V-A-L-U-E at checkout. Head on over to marhelm.com, M-A-R-H-E-L-M.com to get your discount today.